Well, if you haven't picked up on it yet, it's that Sunday. It's that Sunday when the minister talks about financial giving. I've heard people say that it is actually Guilt Sunday. We have fall launch. We have the Sunday before, or perhaps the day on which Christmas falls. We have Easter, and we have Guilt Sunday. It's just become part of the church calendar. Well, I think I told you last year that having been in ministry now for about uh, 34 years or so, that last year was only the second time in my whole ministry career when I'd ever preached on giving. This year makes it the third So I'm not sure if that makes it now a part of our annual church calendar, if this has now become part of who we are, but at least this year I'm going to again preach on giving or teach on the subject of financial responsibility within the church. It's just one of those things about which we feel like we need to be more intentional than we've been. The Lord's Supper is one of those. We want to be intentional with that. We want to be intentional with this. And so we're talking today about giving. And the fact is it's not so much this guilt-driven kind of lesson. It is a lot more about who we are in Christ. Now, it may be that by the time I'm done, you're going to feel some guilt. But if that happens, I don't think it's because I stood up here trying to make you feel guilty. In fact, I would say perhaps the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life that the Holy Spirit needs to do. When an able-bodied young man sits on the couch all day watching TV and refuses to look for work, when he really needs to look for work, and he really could look for work, but he doesn't, we typically don't say that he has a time management problem. That might be part of it, but we would say that there's something deeper going on. It probably starts with an L, and it probably ends with an AZ, okay? When a man beats up his wife because she's unable to keep the baby quiet and he has to get up the next day and go to work, we don't conclude that he needs to learn patience or take responsibility by taking his turn at feeding the baby. That might be part of it, but these things aren't responsible for him beating up his wife. More than impatience and sharing the workload needs to be learned. And so we send people to anger management classes. If people suffer from gluttony, the long-term problem will not be remedied by taking away from them everything but healthy foods or making sure they only eat three meals a day or by giving them smaller plates. On the surface, it looks like that might solve the problem, but they could easily still eat too much healthy food. And each meal, they could eat too much by filling their plates too many times. These things might help the problem, but what needs to be sorted out is why a person eats so much. Well, obviously the point is that there are some reasons for things happening that are kind of foundational, that are right at the core of the issue. We know that there's a difference between root causes to something and things that are more superficial, things that are maybe the secondary causes of things. Maybe we recognize that we need to go deeper. Well, if we have church financial difficulties, I don't know if that's exactly the way to describe it, but, you know, we we in the last year suffered a bit in terms of our financial contribution, and we grieved there. Well, we could talk about how we just need to wait out a bad economy. 
Or we could get closer to the root problem by saying that everyone needs to step up and do their fair share. Fix the 80-20 rule. And I don't know if you know the 80-20 rule. Like the 80-20 rule, church people are very familiar with this. Like leaders and churches know about the 80-20 rule. And it works in a couple of different scenarios. One is it works with all the work that needs to be done. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And when it comes to the finances, it works kind of the same way. 80% of the finances in the church are given by 20% of the people. And I hate to say this, but it's an absolute truth that if you were to look at our figures and look at the board that Jack has out here where he puts up the figures on a weekly basis in terms of our finances, it actually ends up looking more like 90-10. Now think about that. Toward 90% of our funds are given by toward 10% of our people. Ooh, dead silence. But it's fact. And it, it worries me. That's a problem. Now, we could say that people need financial counseling so that they can plan personal budgets where they do, in fact, have room to give more to the Lord's work. We could work on that. Or we could explain to people that they just need to buy less expensive cars or not go on holidays to, and you can name the spot, so often. We could work on those kinds of things. I don't know if that would fix it. There may be some truth in such fixes, and they may help some, but they're not the root problem. The problem is more foundational than that. Now, based on what I've just been talking about, based on what's on the screen right now, where do you think the rest of this sermon is going? Where do you think I'm headed with the question of our giving and where, what's going to fix it? If I was to look around and ask somebody, I could, I could say, John, where do you think we're going with this? It looks like I'm going to talk about the foundational problem. John, you are exactly partially right. The fact is, I am going to talk a little bit about the foundational problem that's there, because I think there's one. But here's a problem with talking about the foundational problem. When I go to talk about the basic problem for the reason that the church doesn't give as well as it should financially, the fact is... You already know it. It's on the screen right now. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if I was to ask anybody here, does that not constitute the problem in terms of the struggle we have in giving financially? I think everybody here would probably say yes. We all recognize this. And so there's a sense in which you already know this. And I don't need to focus so much on that. We know where our heart is or where it should be. Do we love God the most? I think that's a question that we need to ask. But because we all know that, I don't want to just spend time today focusing on the obvious. So I'm going to talk about some other things too, in addition to what I think is the obvious thing when it comes to why we don't take on the financial responsibilities that we should. 
And I want you to turn to a passage of scripture here, if you would. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 19 with me. This is another thing that I think looks like a reason for why we don't give quite the way we should. And it goes a little bit beyond what it is that we focus on when we simply say we don't love God enough. Do we not love God enough? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Maybe that's the foundational thing. But in Matthew 19, 16, it says that now a man came up to Jesus and he asked, Teacher, what good, must, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said, what still do I lack? Now just think about this. Jesus just said to him, keep all the Ten Commandments, and the guy said, I do. I keep these flawlessly. Aren't I in? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This is fascinating to me. The guy goes away sad. Why does he go away sad? Jesus just said to him, here is how you make it. And he goes away sad after hearing the message. And the reason why, the Bible says, is because he had great possessions. And there are times when those great possessions unfortunately dominate who we are. Sometimes we end up letting our possessions drive even our hearts. If you doubt that, look at this next slide. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is amazing. Look, look at the way this is worded. This does not say where your heart is, there your treasures will be also. Do you see that? It doesn't say that. What it says is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And it makes it sound, I think this is exactly the case, that if our treasures are things of this world... If our possessions, certainly if our money, if those are our treasures, your heart can't help but going that direction. It will control your heart. And you think to yourself, well, I don't want money to control my heart. I don't want the things I possess to control my heart. But that's exactly what Jesus says. That if you put your treasure there, your heart is going to be controlled by those things. And this is a problem. It comes right on the heels of the notion that we don't love God enough. Because we are as materialistic as we could be. Like, is there anybody else in the world? 
I, th- I think you'd have to live in Abu Dhabi or someplace maybe to be more materialistically blessed than we are. It goes right to the core of what it means to live in North America. And so we really need to check ourselves when it comes to things we buy, the ways we spend our money. We could get by. I, I think this is true. Okay? And, and as I say these things, I'm looking right in the mirror. Okay? We could get by spending a lot less on ourselves and more on the Lord's work. We could. We don't need to drive a new car if an old car will do. We don't need to buy expensive clothes if less expensive clothes will keep us warm and dry. I don't think I just said anything that isn't a fact. I was talking with a friend about materialism this week in light of this coming sermon. He was telling me that his family owns three cars. The combined age of those three cars is 45 years. And here's what he said. He said, cars are for transportation not status, and driving old cars allows me to tithe. That's pretty simple. And I have no question about where his treasure lies. I was talking with John Nicholson, who preaches for the Ross Carrick Church of Christ this week, again kind of talking about this lesson. He said, Kelly, I buy my shoes at thrift stores where I get, like new, $200 shoes for 15 bucks. And I have to admit, when John said, I buy my shoes secondhand, I was kind of thinking, ooh, I don't know if I could do that. Somebody else's feet has been in those shoes. He buys, he said, shoes that have barely been worn, basically like new shoes. And that's what he wears. And I haven't talked to John about this, but I'm guessing that he does that not because he can't afford others, but as a personal decision to simply decide to spend his money elsewhere, namely on the work of the Lord. Now, by the way, I have to tell you, a little uh, aside here, the fact is John does drive and own a very expensive car. (laughs) But it was given to him by his father. And when he got it, one of the first things he did was he started making phone calls to people to see if anybody wanted to buy it because it was a great deal. He said, I'll let you have this, so- this car for a song because I don't need this car. And after a while, he decided he'd just drive it. So he does. But it didn't cost him anything. Well, I could go on and on with that one in terms of thinking about why it is that we should be more financially responsible. Let me say that I don't judge Christians who love the Lord but who spend their money on extravagance. And that might seem like, well, I think you just did. (laughs) But I don't. I don't judge them because I actually think that their hearts are in the right place. I think they love the Lord. I just think that they're tempted, like all of us, in various ways, and that they aren't as wise and as knowledgeable about God's word on the subject of materialism as they could be. And so they don't do a great job of fighting temptation when it comes to materialism. And the fact is, I don't either. So I don't have any room to judge here. There are lots of times and ways in my life when I am tempted by materialistic things and I give in. 
They put themselves, and I put myself, unfortunately, when I do that, in the vulnerable position of having our hearts follow our treasures. Oh, that is, that is scary. It's terrifying to think that the materialism in our world ends up ruling our hearts. Well, I could go on with that one, as I said. I actually want to focus somewhere else for the remainder of our time here. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're not even going to get to chapter 9 today. I really encourage you, if you want to see all of this, read both 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And I want to look at just a few things here that I think are so important. And they're not quite as obvious. You know, I, I said in the beginning here that there's this foundational principle in terms of why we don't give as we should. That foundational, foundational principle, I think, is so obvious to us. We don't love the Lord our God with all our hearts and souls and minds and strengths. If we really loved God with all of our hearts, we wouldn't have a trouble with it, any trouble with this. So that one's obvious. This, I think, is maybe not quite so obvious. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, just think about this, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty, man, talk about an odd sentence, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Wow. Like if you want to see something powerful on the subject of giving within the Christian communion, Second chapter, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is incredibly powerful. And I just want to, I want to point out some things here. First of all, I want you to notice the word grace. It appears first in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He goes on and describes the Macedonian churches, how they were able to give, longed to give, earnestly wanted to give out of their poverty. And he calls that a grace. In other words, God has gifted them with the privilege 
of giving out of their poverty. And says this is a blessing to them that they were given this opportunity. It's graced to them. Uh, Now look at verse uh, 5. And they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's certainly important. And then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And what is he saying? He's not talking about how the church is being graced in the sense, or the church is offering grace. What he's saying is that God has graced them. God has given them a special blessing and an opportunity in terms of their giving. And then look at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So God has given us this grace and this opportunity to give. And how do we usually think of it? Like if I get up on a Sunday morning and I start talking about giving, somebody out there is saying, oh brother, he's going to tell us we've got to give more money. And we're feeling the burden and the pressure of the church coming down on us and telling us that we need to give more. And all the while, Paul is saying, here is a gift. Here's an opportunity. Here is something that for you is a blessing if you will just seize this opportunity to give. And so the text keeps using the word grace. And when we think of grace, we think of things like what? Forgiveness, mercy, love, God's steadfast desire for our good. He keeps showering his blessings down on us. All these wonderful things that are graced to us. But how many times do we think to ourselves, oh, our chance to give financially, that's the grace of God. We tend not to think that way. Giving is a responsibility. It's an obligation. We use words like commandment. You gotta, we're commanded to give. That's how we reflect on it. And of course, Scripture sometimes reflects on it that way. We are commanded to give. But the Bible says that this is a gift of grace from God. In fact, look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The point is that Jesus was about the task of implementing this kind of grace in his own life. And he's the perfect example of one who becomes poor so that we might receive that benefit. It's his grace that does that. And Paul compares that grace in the life of Jesus to us. We're we're called to give because Christ himself gave. And then look at verse 10. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. And I love those words because it's almost like he's talking to us. He's talking to somebody else. He's talking about the Macedonians. And then he says, but let me give you some advice, some direct advice to you. Last year, you were the first not only to give, 
but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And this is amazing because this is exactly our problem. Like there isn't anybody here who thinks to himself, yep, I don't love the Lord as much as I love other things and I'm going to, you know, that's the problem. I'm going to keep leaving it that way. Like all of us would say, you know, foundationally, I want to love the Lord with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength. That's how I want to love him. That's how we think of ourselves. Nobody is thinking, oh, I, you know, I, loving the Lord, eh. And none of us thinks to ourselves, I will really, I'd really like to have those material possessions rule my heart. None of us thinks that. Like when you hear me say that where your treasures are, there your heart will be also, probably all of us are thinking, wow, I've got to be careful about that. I want to make sure that I don't have my treasures there so that my heart isn't ruled by those things. And that's a good thing to think. I hope we do think that. But Paul says that's not their problem. What he says is they know what to do. They have the willingness to do it. But they don't follow through. He says last year, you you were the first ones to desire to give. And I know that you have the willingness. Now do it. And this is exactly, I think, where we are. It is hard to give financially to the Lord sometimes. It's just hard. And God wants us to do it anyway. It's a question of follow-through. I don't question whether or not we understand the giving principle that we need to give, but it's hard for us sometimes to follow through. Well, this is interesting because if I told you that there was something else that was going to give you incredible blessing if you just carried through with it, and if it was easy to do, you'd do it. Like, for example, if I said to everybody today, you know what? If all of you will just go out to lunch today and eat a hamburger, it is going to contribute incredibly to your physical well-being. Your body is going to be so much more healthy because you eat this hamburger. If I told you all of that, because almost all of us love hamburgers, we would all go out and say, I can do that. Great call, Kelly. This is wonderful. Or if I said, let's all eat pizza for lunch, the health factors and what contributed to your physical health by pizza is incredible let's all go do it we all go yes let's eat pizza and hamburgers this is wonderful it is great to be a christian because that's so easy but what if i tell you that the best thing the thing that is going to bring you all the blessing is participating in the grace of giving. 
What if I told you that God had graced us with this opportunity to give financially to his work and that out of it, incredible blessings are going to come? It's not quite a hamburger. All of a sudden, things become more difficult. We find it way easier to spend money on ourselves than we do on the Lord. But I promise you, the blessing will be greater. We spend all kinds of money on ourselves and on things thinking that we're going to get all kinds of blessing out of this. This is going to be the thing that's going to do it. If I can just buy this, if I can just get this thing, it's going to raise my status. If they see the kind of car I'm driving, oh, baby. And we think there's so much advantage to that that that's where the blessing will come. And the fact is, we are simply mistaken. We are so wrong. We've got it all turned around. It's not that that is going to bring you the blessing. It's the giving that is going to bring you the blessing. It's the grace of giving that God has given to us so that we can honor him and honor others and complete his work and bless others That's where the blessing is going to come in. And we try everything else. And we fail. Sometimes we think, man, I just wish life was so much better for me or so much different. And we miss out on one of these key elements for what it is that would make life so much better. And that is responding to the grace of giving and the opportunity that God has given us to give to his work and in the process receive from him countless blessings in return. And by the way, I'm not saying that we should give so that we get all those countless blessings. We might think, well, I can give money and somehow there's going to be a proportionate amount, maybe even of money come back to me. What I'm saying is that in the process of giving financially and exercising the grace of giving, the opportunity with which God has blessed us in giving to his work, that that in itself will touch our hearts and our spirits and lift us up and mature us in Christ in a way that we can't believe. And so, if it's not a commandment, if it's not guilt, if it's not Jack's money presentation that's going to drive you to maybe get out of the 80% and into the 20, then I hope it's the idea that God has blessed us with this wonderful opportunity and we are crazy not to seize it. And allow God to bless us through the grace of giving. Let's pray. Lord, you bless us with so many things. You bless us with your mercy. You bless us with your forgiveness. You bless us with your son. You bless us with each other. You bless us with eternal life. You've showered your blessings down upon us. But sometimes, God, we don't count the grace, the gift of blessing, of giving, we we just don't count it. 
among those others. But it is. Help us to see that. And Father, the ways in which other things end up being our treasures and ruling our hearts, help us to put those aside and allow your grace of giving to be our treasure. And fill our hearts with that. And we just thank you for the blessings that will come when we choose to do so. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.